This week on the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. The amazing part is that we get to completely reinvent the way that almost everything humans do is done on Earth. I'm Neil Harvey. Join us this week for Education for Action, Reinventing Everything on the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Eco-literacy. If you haven't yet heard the word, you will be a lot. Perhaps the single greatest systems error of human civilization is the illusion that people are somehow separate from nature, not subject to the ground rules for the rest of the web of life. As a result, we're getting an environmental education the hard way, because when you fight nature, you lose. Eco-literacy is a lifelong education in how life actually works. So how do Americans rate on a 10-question eco-literacy quiz? Out of those 10 questions, Americans score about 2.2 right answers. Random guessing would produce 2.5 correct answers. Sounds like an F. What's really important about this, as the Report on Environmental Literacy in America warns, is that knowledge is directly tied to behavior. Or as author and futurist H.G. Wells foresaw over a century ago, we're in a race between education and catastrophe. How can we win that race? How will we educate nearly 7 billion people really fast? How do we change behavior on a mass scale? In this program, three of the world's boldest educational innovators shine a light on breakthrough solutions that could change the game. Join us for Education for Action, Reinventing Everything, with eco-literacy leaders David Orr and Dr. Anthony Cortese and educational social entrepreneur Jess Remington. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Formal education today is undergoing a fundamental transformation, and it has a pivotal role to play in the transition to a sustainable civilization. Mounting numbers of schools are offering more environmental curriculum and programs, in part because of fierce demand by students and applicants. Meanwhile, schools and campuses are energetically greening their own institutions. Climate change has motivated numerous institutions of higher learning to take a far greater leadership role, not only within their institutions, but also on Main Street. The central question for humanity is this. How will we assure that all current and future humans will have their basic needs met, a decent quality of life, and a world that will have 9 billion people by the year 2050, and aims to increase economic output by four to five times during that period? That is the central question for humanity. And what I want to talk to you about is not about saving the planet, but it's really the greatest civilizational, moral, and intellectual challenge humans have ever had. It's about figuring out how we can preserve the capacity of the Earth's life support system to support all of us, now and in the future, to have a decent quality of life. Anthony Cortese's writing and leadership are changing the game in higher education. 
He's helped found or guide nearly all the key national NGOs working to transform higher education, including Second Nature and the American College and University President's Climate Commitment. Anthony Cortese spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. We're going to have to do something else. This shift, this new story, has to be based as much on values and culture as it is on science and technology. If this was just a scientific and technological problem, it would have been solved. I'm a scientist and an engineer, and I'm telling you, if I could solve this problem for everybody on the earth right now, I'd be a very happy person. But this is more about the arts and sciences, the social and behavioral sciences. It's about religion and spirituality to help us rise above consumption and to put the community of people and the community of species on the earth as the center of making us all be individually successful. That's the transformation. In other words, eco-literacy. It'll be the water we swim in as students, teachers, and schools in an engaged society. But eco-literacy education is different. It's education for action, inaction. Anthony Cortese. So what would it look like if higher education were aligned with producing the graduates and the knowledge and operating as a model for the rest of society connected to the sustainability principles? Well, first, the content and the context of learning would be such that the human environment interdependence, values and ethics, and systems thinking would be a seamless part of the learning of every student, no matter what their major is. There is no other way to do this. Specialists like me will not solve the world's problems. We need to make sure that everybody understands their place, how the world works, how the natural world works, and how we can fit in and thrive. The second thing is that the process of education needs to change so that experiential, active experiential, inquiry-based, problem-solving, and learning based on helping the campus and the community to be sustainable is an important part of the future of education. The future is here now at Oberlin College in Ohio. Professor David Orr's environmental studies program is widely acclaimed as among the leading-edge model programs in the world. His seminal books include Ecological Literacy and Design on the Edge, the Making of a High-Performance Building. How does David Orr see education for action? Hope, he says, is a verb with its sleeves rolled up. You don't just study problems. You solve them on the ground in practice. He led the effort to design and build the Adam Joseph Lewis Center for Environmental Studies, a model of ecological design. The United States Department of Energy honored it as one of the 30 milestone buildings of the 20th century. The educational aspects of that were organized around two ideas. One was that architecture is a kind of crystallized pedagogy. If you take out television, the shopping mall is probably the strongest educational device we've created. And it is partly powerful because we don't think of it as an educational device. So it sneaks up on your blind side. If you want it, buy it. If it itches, scratch it. You know, that kind of mentality. 
and incredibly well designed. I mean, uh, designers have gotten very good at using daylighting and white sound and so forth to pull you in to buy more stuff. And you can design stores now that really do evoke that consumption impulse in people. So the other main part of this was the idea that students really needed to connect head and hands. So the building wasn't just a place in which education would later happen. It was a place that, by the way, was designed, built, operated, would become educational. And that, I've got to say, that that has succeeded uh, beyond my wildest expectations. At the end of the day, buildings are just buildings, but the, the real effect of a building is uh, what it does for how you think and how you can dream and hope. And we wanted to increase what John Todd or people like that would call ecological competence. And so the building features ecological engineering, the purification of wastewater, solar energy, landscape management. The whole monitoring system was designed by buildings. So the building had a remarkable effect, I think, on students' sense of possibility that it is possible to do things in this world. No matter how bad the numbers are and the trend lines, you, you can actually do things. Students who worked on creating the Lewis Center project have applied their eco-literacy to architectural projects from Vancouver, British Columbia, to Oakland, California, and Chicago, Illinois. With the commitment of the college, David Orr is now developing a bold collaborative venture between the college and the town of Oberlin. The goal, achieve carbon neutrality by 2020, no net emissions. It's a moonshot of a town-gown partnership, but the destination is planet Earth. The model that we created in that acre-and-a-quarter site of sustainability is now the template for a much larger project that effectively is the entire town and the college involved. And so if you put a compass down on our town square and draw a circle with a radius of about eight miles, that's our effective area. And what we want to do in this is to bring virtually all the parts of sustainability together so that the parts reinforce the integrity, prosperity, resilience, and durability of the whole thing. We did sustainable agriculture, and then there was forestry, and there was solar housing or buildings, and then policy and education, and so forth. And the goal here is to get them all together so they're part of a single whole. And so a conversation that starts, oh, we're going to establish a 20,000-acre greenbelt. Well, isn't that nice? But what are farmers going to do in that greenbelt? Well, that means you've got to train people to know how to farm. Your education group has got to get involved in the educational part of it. And then what are you going to sell? Well, you've got to get uh, the economic development group involved in the marketing of what's grown or produced in the greenbelt. And then you have to look at issues of policy and finance because the money isn't right now easily available for some young person who wants to go into agriculture, so you have to rethink the whole system. So now you have a systems conversation, and you're starting to weave together a fabric. That's what makes it incredibly daunting but incredibly exciting. That's reweaving the fabric of the civilization that came basically undone around specialization and large corporations and, and so forth. So what we want to do educationally is over the next few years involve about a 1,000 students from Votech School, the public schools, the Tier College, and Oberlin College, working with the design teams and some of the professionals working around this. So the goal is, is pretty ambitious. We want to engage people in the actual remaking of their own community. Party at Oberlin. But this party is to reweave the fabric of civilization itself. Using systems thinking means engaging a broad coalition of schools as well as the town and citizens themselves. Education in action. As David Orr likes to say, education is anywhere that learning happens.
And in this case, as the pond gets bigger, the ripples get bigger, a lot bigger. We have a goal of rebuilding the downtown, like we did the Lewis Center, but 20 or 30 times the scale. So taking a block that the college already owns and redeveloping the block so that the block is done as a lead platinum ND block, the neighborhood scale, powered by sunlight and efficiency with one additional criteria that it become an economic driver. So how the block is provisioned with food and energy and materials and so forth, well, that's in the local economy as much as you can possibly make it. And so the idea of making this a sustainable driver for a sustainable or durable economy is really important to us. Our second goal is to get the city and the college to carbon neutrality. Our third goal is to reestablish a green belt around the whole area for agriculture and forestry. Fourth goal is to make this an educational project that involves public schools and college and a two-year college. And then the fifth goal is to replicate this and uh, take this model that we've created or will create and take it out publicly and let it go viral. But we want to replicate this, uh, if we can, in every congressional district in the country. That's the basis to begin to cross over into a different territory where sustainability isn't something that you talk about in a class. It's Main Street reality. It's how you do things. It's how my business operates, or it's how I earn my paycheck, whatever. Main Street reality, coming to a town near you, to every congressional district if David Orr's vision plays out. There are over 4,100 institutions of higher education in the United States. If even a fraction of them embark on such town-gown partnerships, well, do the math. It changes the game. More when we return. This is Education for Action, reinventing everything. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Bioneers Radio is made possible in part by John Masters Organics. Feel good about looking good. Learn more at johnmasters.com. To explore more Bioneers Radio shows and conference videos for free, visit bioneers.org. What would happen if students learned through a kind of living curriculum that applied to their real daily lives? And how do you apply whole systems thinking to higher education, which historically has compartmentalized the world into separate disciplines and departments. Anthony Cortesi created a groundbreaking national network of colleges and universities called ASHI, the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. One of its key purposes is to bring action-oriented environmental curriculum into every level of study. As a network, ASHI works with all campus sectors, including faculty, staff, administrators, and students. It helps institutions to model and advance sustainability in everything they do, from governance and physical operations to education and research. Colleges and universities around the environmental dimension of sustainability have been creating all kinds of new undergraduate and graduate programs dealing with environment and sustainability in just about every area, in business, engineering, science, arts and humanities, law. It's been incredible. There are two major initiatives that have gone on on 
probably over a couple hundred campuses. One of them is a competition among schools for trying to minimize the amount of waste that's produced. You know, the students started, for example, trayless cafeterias. By doing that, they can cut down the amount of food that's eaten about 25%, and therefore the amount of waste. The win-win-win situation all the way around, because people tend to heap everything they can on the tray, and then they don't eat it all, or they're eating too much anyway. They can still go back and get more, but they just have to go with an individual dish. And that alone is enough to have cut down the food consumption quite a bit. So there have been dormitory competitions for um, reducing energy and water use. And these have been very effective, sometimes reducing you know, either energy or water use by 35 40 50%. Just think about that from the perspective of what it does to educate the students about connecting their daily lives to where resources come from, how much pollution and waste is created. It's really quite exciting. The higher education system has a lot of clout. About 18 million students are enrolled at colleges and universities around the United States. The sector has an annual operating budget of $350 billion, greater than the GDP of 31 countries, as well as a very large pool of endowments that can be directed differently. Higher education also has a lot of societal influence. By insisting on environmentally sound policies such as reducing energy and water use and eliminating food waste, well, the picture gets even better. Anthony Cortese founded the American College and University President's Climate Commitment and has enrolled nearly 700 schools in an initiative to achieve on-campus climate neutrality. Colleges in all 50 states have signed on. The higher education sector is the only sector in U.S. society and the only sector that I know of worldwide that has made a um, voluntary commitment to become climate neutral. No one else has done that. Now, this is important from a policy standpoint because, you know, in the United States, the whole mechanism of the tripartite government is not designed to take bold initiatives. In fact, it's just the opposite in many cases. Unless we're, we really feel that something is so serious that we're threatened. If you look at the 37 environmental laws that have been passed since 1970, national environmental laws, every one of them was based on a state law that occurred first. None of them were directly developed by the federal government without having been tried at the state level. And many people have said over time that the states are the laboratories of democracy, so you try them there, and if things go well there, then you're not so afraid to try it on a national scale. Anthony Cortese. Schools acting as laboratories of sustainability are joining forces with states acting as laboratories of democracy. Together they can add up to real change. The environmental crisis is, above all, a crisis of education. These twin crises are leaving many students without much hope for the future. I was at this conference recently where this, this teenage boy broke down crying. He said he was just so depressed, so overwhelmed by how screwed up the world was. And he felt so personally responsible for making it better, for fixing it. And what I told him was that, yes, some things suck. <laughs> some things are going to shit. And it can be tremendously paralyzing sometimes. But the beautiful, the awe-inspiring side of it contains a truth that's almost too overwhelming to admit to ourselves. 
The amazing part is that this generation, that his generation, my generation, and the one coming up right after us, we get to completely reinvent the way that almost everything humans do is done on Earth. Jess Remington is executive director and founder of One World Youth Project. It's a leading nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming students into empowered, discerning, and empathetic global citizens. When she was just 19 years old, Remington won the prestigious Brower Youth Award for her visionary contributions. She was the principal author of the 2006 UN Millennium Development Goal Curriculum for Secondary School. She has traveled through Africa, Central America, Asia, and North America, introducing youth leaders to some pretty ambitious goals and to each other, because it's one world and it needs them. She spoke at a recent Bioneers conference. If we want our young people to tackle the challenges of the 21st century that we speak about at conferences like this, then we have to prepare them to know how to communicate and work with one another, to see each other as humans, to have cultural competency, to be able to apply empathy, to better communicate with one another if we're going to live up to this task. So I think there's an opportunity to close this capacity gap by enhancing education, by working with young people. And if we want to create systemic change, and I think we need to create a system to deliver that change, and I'd like to propose that One World Youth Project is an example of one such system. The One World curriculum pairs university student teachers with local secondary schools to explore global issues outlined by the United Nations. Each local classroom is partnered with a classroom abroad that also has a university student facilitate or guide them through a four-unit curriculum. The program creates interacting, interconnected global networks of student teachers and classroom projects. They use education for action to foster cross-cultural understanding and realize it on the ground. Each partner classroom chooses one of the Millennium Development Goals to focus the year-long study, something like maternal health or eradicate child mortality. And then for the third unit, they do community mapping, where they focus on how this big global issue manifests itself in their local community and what the challenges and resources are. And then lastly, with the last unit, Unit 4, they do service learning. So they design and implement a community service project or a service learning project that helps meet that big global issue in their local community. And all of this is done through a global conversation that benefits both the middle and high school students and the university students. Right now, we're serving four universities in Qatar, Kosovo, and the U.S., and we're triple that number with rapid scaling. My team intends to serve hundreds of universities and thousands of middle schools, affecting the lives of millions of students. Our growth model is that of bacteria, which I've learned from prior member Cree, it's a good sign. <laughs> so we have to create an international system of preparing youth to solve global challenges. My generation feels the fire but the vast majority don't know how to operate within the reality of this fire or what to do. How do we put it out? Where are the instructions? If we're on the burning platform, how do we jump off of it? We need entire communities, entire regions leading the way, and that's possible to achieve. These young people you see as examples, they aren't born geniuses in their field. They're not flukes of nature. They grew up with a certain set of circumstances, 
coincidental or perhaps enabled by the people around them that allowed them to practice, to gain the skill set they needed, to have the self-confidence and awareness to take action. I see the task of our time as replicating those influences equitably across the world. That's our call to action. Anything you are fighting for, anything you are passionate about as it relates to social change can be scaled by enhancing education and creating a more discerning, empathetic, and empowered populace to join with you. I think it's extremely urgent that we live out that potential. Thank you. Jess Remington. If this second decade of the 21st century goes down in history as the turning point of ecological awakening and practical transformation, tomorrow's leaders will likely have been nurtured by the institutions and systems that were so profoundly shaped by visionary eco-literacy innovators such as David Orr, Anthony Cortese, and Jess Remington. Because hope rolled up its sleeves with education for action. Education for Action, Reinventing Everything. Many more Bioneers radio programs and conference videos are available online for free at Bioneers.org, where you can also find out how to attend the annual Bioneers conference and local Bioneers satellite conferences near you. Bioneers voices are heard more widely with your support. Join by visiting Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Chuck Castleberry. Station relations by Creative PR. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by The Bee Eaters at beeaters.com. For more music information, please visit bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 1211. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and family-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.coop. Also by Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, as well as by the generous support of listeners like you.